And we get to now look into the Word of God. It's such an amazing thing that we have it. Every little piece of it. We're in the book of Exodus, so if you want to look, we're in Exodus 32. We're almost getting towards the end of Exodus, which is fabulous. But, but the message has been, has been one of preparation in many ways. You know, the gospel is the key to your life. The gospel is the key. Everything about your life is because of the good news of Jesus. It's the key. What is it? it it's transformative. It, it does amazing things for your life. But what is it? And so much of what it is, is defined by the lock that it's going into. A lot of times looking around something to understand it, you understand what it's going into, what, what's the need that, that's there. And the Old Testament over and over shows the need that we have. Particularly this morning. We've gone through Exodus. It's been fantastic to see the deliverance of God as he took a people that were not a people, made them a people, took them out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, by great and mighty acts of power. And then he brought them through the Red Sea. Incredible. He brought them to this mountain where he was giving them instructions. And we've been week after week looking at these instructions of God about he was how the God of the universe would dwell with his people. Moses has been up there these seven speeches that God gave to him and the thunder and the lightning while the people were below. And today we have an interlude before they build the tabernacle. And it's one of the most famous parts of the, of the book of Exodus. You've probably heard of it. It's about something called the golden calf. And my heart when we look at this this morning for you and me, this famous event, the showstopper, it's three days in the life of Israel. But it's so informative for you and me to see what the shape of the key is. Where's our hope? And, and to actually buy in to what that looks like. So would you look, it's a great story. We get to look at it this morning. It's just one chapter. I'm calling it broken because the, the, the image that, that, that we have is the, the law of God broken at the feet of Moses. But it starts out the beginning of chapter 32 with the first day, day one. Three days. Here's the first one, chapter 32, verse one. So when the people saw that Moses had delayed to come down from the mountain... And people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. It's just, this is such a classic thing. So here we have this amazing, you've got to understand what's happened. Is they're, they're standing there and Moses has been gone now for a couple weeks. The last time we heard all the people speak, way back in Exodus 24, the people said, the words out of their mouth were, we will obey. Lord, we will obey. Oh, you're a great and mighty God. The people who right now are saying this to, 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 to Aaron are people who every morning are getting up and finding food on the ground that God's given them. Man is happening. And they go to God and say, well, not God, they go to Aaron. They go to Aaron. They say, we don't know what's become of Moses. Up, make us gods who shall go before us. Man, you start thinking, who are these people? We need to do something. It's a religious vacuum, right? If you don't know nothing, and say, okay, here I am, and, and boy, it doesn't seem like God's moving. Nothing's happened. We've got to do something. Let's do something. And so what they do is they want to do something. Religious impulse is a poor vacuum. We have to do something. So whether that's they're going to 
whatever. For them, they say, make us gods. Well, gods, Elohim, it's a little bit of a funny word. Sometimes it's translated God. It's even used of our God. So, so it's not certain if they're saying, make us a bunch of little gods or make us an image of our God. But they want to do something. God's not acting on their timetable, on their own idea of what should happen. This, by the way, it's all over the Bible, right? Talk about the patriarch, Abraham. What is he doing when God says, I'm going to give you a kid? Oh, he waited so long. Maybe I'll have one with my handmaiden. Let's take it into my own hands. Over and over, that, that's what happens. Moses delayed, so we're going to act. And, and, and I don't know about Aaron. Aaron's kind of overwhelmed. That's the picture there. It says the people came and they almost assaulted him. They kind of bunch of people. They're all like, oh, man, they go, we, I got to do something. So there's Aaron. There's the people. And so Aaron says to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. Take off your earrings. Really interesting, the, kind of the organ you hear from. Let's, let's, let's take that away and bring them. And so all the people took the rings of gold that were in their ears, and they brought them to Aaron. Man, these guys, they're deaf. By the way, this is not the only time if you read the Bible. Judges 8, and if you read that, it's about, about Gideon. And Gideon has them give all their gold earrings too, and he makes an ephod. Original sin, never original. So he received this gold from their hand. And he fashioned a graven tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Ouch. So their gold, this is the thing, right? Their gold, they make it. And they will do what they want. It's not a replacement. It's just a total miss about what's going on. This is kind of the big thing to see. As you start to see, hey, there's great sin going on here. We're, we're doing a, a piece on sin, the sin of the people, while God's up there giving the actual commandments of what to do. And they've pledged to obey this God who has delivered them in every single way. They're sitting down here going, oh, Moses isn't here. We should do something. And, and they're not saying, we want to go worship other gods. They're, they're saying, we got to do something to worship so they take their ears, the, the, the earrings that they have that they can give. They, they take their workmanship that they can do, and they build something. And they say, this, we'll worship this because this is the way it goes, you know. They think they're still worshiping Yahweh. I'll, I'll prove it to you in a minute. But you don't get to worship him as you think it should be to sort of replace God's word with our word, our will. We can say Jesus all day long, but it's in vain if you're not doing what he said, right? Then this is scary. Because I know you and me, and I, you can say, well, this is very interesting. I'm not like these fools. These people are fools. God's done everything for them. And they're worshiping some calf? Why do they even think that they can do that? Who do you worship exactly? Right? This God who does everything and what he gives is enough. And instead, we want other things. I want things God hasn't given me. I want health or I want kids or I want work. Or I want things to go. I want to build God. I want God to use me in a certain way. I want these things. I covet them. You know what the New Testament calls coveting? 
idolatry. We are, we are idol, we're idol worshipers all the time. Why? Because I want my idea to be, I, I'll, I'll even cover it in God. I'll say God wants this. And what it really means is Dax wants this. Or, or, or we have these ideas that aren't just us receiving what God has done. Us saying, I, I just want God, everything. <laughs> He's working, not me. I start going, me and God are working. Why aren't you? And that, that's precisely what's going on here, is God is, is doing what God is going to do. God is, is preparing everything for them so he will dwell in their midst. They, they've already said, Lord, you're everything. We're, we're people who will obey you. And then they're down here going, but we've got to do some stuff. I don't know exactly, but we're going to do it, and we're going to have a great day to worship God. And they start to worship what they make. This is great badness. So Aaron saw this, and he made the calf. So he built an altar before this idol, and he made a proclamation. Listen to this. He made a proclamation. Tomorrow shall be a feast to Yahweh. See, they don't think they're worshiping Baal. They don't think they're worshiping Moloch. They don't think they're worshiping some foreign false god. They said, we're worshiping God in this way, by the work of our hands. By what we've made. How ironic. A feast to Yahweh. We'll bring the idols. You bring the strawberries. We'll eat and rejoice and worship as we want to. But here's the point. Sin has broken loose. This is not some little thing. These aren't small things. Say, man, you know you were speeding. Okay, that's pretty bad. Slap on your wrist. This is like, no, this is, this is horrible. Nobody denies how horrible this is. How could they? Making idols. And so you start to get to something that I, I, I desperately want for you to walk away with this morning. Something called low anthropology. That's kind of a big word, but it's a good two words, I know. But we could make it one word, low anthropology. And just say, it's so bad. Who? Us. I have no expectations that you're going to stay out of sin. Mankind is so terrible. If any human being should be loyal, really honestly, these guys should, right? If I was going to say there's one guy, let's try and pick people who really honestly are not going to have much trouble obeying God. Okay, let's take these guys. Why? Well, let's start with he did the plagues and they saw them. Then let's go to he broke apart the Red Sea and they walked across on dry land. Then let's go to every single morning they wake up to manna and quail. Then let's go to the mountain that they're sitting at right now and there's thunder and lightning that's so scary they won't even go up there. At least for fear they should be obeying God. And these are the guys who are saying, we want to do something. Let's make us a calf. And again, the idea isn't, oh, well, we're not like them because we don't make calves. I don't know, though. I saw this really cool steer this morning. Looks like it's going to be a cool animal. You wouldn't worship it, though. But we make things. And we covet. And don't think it's not bad. Right? And, and if somebody could have, they... I mean, I'm bored with God. <laughs> I'm bored with life. I'm bored. What, do, do you understand that God's at work exactly as he wants to be at work? Okay, that's day one. Day one is sin is broken loose. These guys are off the rails. There they go. So day two, 
the longest section here, is about the consequences of it. Except this is sin, it's in the camp, they're going, what's going to happen? So they rose early the next day, this is Israel, and, and they offered burnt offerings and they brought peace offerings and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. You get, man, this is what we quoted and, and quoted in First Corinthians. You say, hey, that's so bad. They, they sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. No, it's a worship service. We're having a feast day to Yahweh. We're, we're, we're sitting down and we're, here we go. And, and that's what we're going to do. We're going to uh, burnt, burnt offerings. That's what you do. But peace offerings means we eat part of it. So we're eating the peace offerings together. It's like us and God, we're so good. Let's rejoice together over these things that he's, he's delivered us and we've made him a calf. We're worshiping. It's joyful. It's fun. It's a celebration. It's not depressing. We have helped him, we've donated to him, we've crafted him, and we're worshiping him. So, so, so what if it's a calf? The, inter, I, I'm, the intention is we have a feast to God. I wonder what God thinks. You don't have long to understand. Because verse 7, Yahweh says to Moses, Moses has been up there now for what? 35, 40 days. Yahweh says to Moses, go down. For your people who you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. I love this. They have turned aside quickly in the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people. Behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore... Leave me alone, that my wrath may burn against them, and I may consume them in order I may make a great nation of you. <laughs> Isn't that great? It starts, God's like, go down because your people who you brought out of Egypt will, Moses, aren't they God's people? He brought them out of Egypt? And, and God's like mad, right? This is anger. They're stiff-necked. So what he says is, is kind of what he said back in the day to Abraham. He says, these people are so sinful. Why don't you just go and I'll make a nation out of you. We'll start over with you, Moses. You're up here with me. You're not participating in that evil. And so there, it's just, there it is. Turn aside quickly. That's an understatement. It's like the first thing they can do, they turn aside. Let me alone. Now, therefore, let me alone that I may burn hot against them. Isn't that an amazing statement? You think, well, God hates sin. That's very clear. God's mad at these people. That's very clear. And then he says to Moses, leave me alone. Why would he say that? Why doesn't he just go kill all these people and do it again? Why is he asking Moses' opinion? And that's because it's written down for you and me. That's because God knows what he's going to do. God doesn't know. And it's like, oh, I wonder what I'm going to do. I'm so mad. You, Moses, I'm telling you, you leave me alone because I'm going to go kill him. Well, it's an opportunity for Moses not to leave him alone. Otherwise, he could just push him away. So God says to Moses, hey, leave me alone so I can do it. It's an intentional opportunity to not leave God alone. And so Moses is pretty amazing here. It's a picture of Christ. He doesn't say, go ahead. They're a pain. He might say that in 30 years. 
But, but here, he, he says his compassion, he, he's angry too. He's not neutral, but he jumps in with boldness and confidence. Only one other scene really is like this in the, in the Pentateuch, and that's the, the scene that Abraham has with, if you remember, with Sodom and Gomorrah. You guys remember that? Where God wants to kill him and, and, and Abraham's arguing. Listen to what Moses does. Moses implored Yahweh, his God. He said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and mighty hand? Says Moses, No, I didn't bring them out, God. You did. <laughs> why, why is your wrath against them? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger. Relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I'll multiply your offspring of the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. He's worried for God's reputation and what he appeals to is God's promise. And really interesting. Think about the difference between Abraham and Moses. What did Abraham, when he was there, he was arguing, he was like, Lord, don't do this. What if there's a hundred people in there that are righteous? And God's like, no, there's not 100. Well, what if there's 50? No, there's not 50. Well, what if there's 10? No, there's not 10. What if there's one? Remember what happened at the end? Sodom is destroyed because there's no such thing as good people. Moses makes a totally different argument, huh? Moses says, what about your promises, God? Remember your promises, because Israel's hanging by a thread. We know the history. God gets mad. These people are dead. And, 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 and they're sinning down there right now. And there they are abandoning God who they promised. They deserve to die. And, and they're hanging by this thread. And the thread is, God, you remember your promises? This was the opportunity that gets, comes out because God gives Moses this statement where he gets to interact with God. God does it on purpose. He wants you to see this. So when it says, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he'd spoken of bringing on his people, it doesn't mean, oh, he was going to do it and he changed his mind. It, it, it means, yes, this is the flow of God as he, as he highlights for you why it is that he's not killing these people. And it's not because the sin isn't bad enough. It's not because they deserve mercy. It's not because there's 12 little infants that are actually righteous somewhere out there. It's entirely because I've promised, says God. I've promised something. We're in the flow of something. And that's the reason, you guys, this sin is horrible. We're getting to low anthropology, right? Low anthropology, no hint of do this because there's a good person here. Man, Jim is so good. He touches so many people. Please heal him. Lord, remember your promises is is the statement. These people are yours by your will alone. Okay, so now Moses is going down to talk to Israel. That's a beautiful scene. So then, and it's almost like this next page. So then, okay, that's the scene. He's, he's relenting because of his promises that he made to the patriarchs, not because of them. So here goes Moses down. And now here comes Moses down the mountain. And he turned and he headed down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. By the way, I don't know if you've ever done any research on this, but we're talking about the tablets of the testimony on which were the Ten Commandments. You realize there'd be two of them, and it wasn't that commandments one through five are on one tablet and six through ten are on the other. It's two copies of the same thing. Because this is a treaty. 
God keeps one and the people have one. It's, it's God as their king, as their sovereign, as their Lord. And these guys, as a, underneath them, and they've promised. And what do they promise? It's based on, you will obey me. And so here he is carrying, Moses is coming, carrying down the covenant. He's carrying down the Ten Commandments, but they represent the relationship of God to people. You keep this and I will bless you is the Mosaic covenant. And there he is carrying it down the mountain. God wrote it with his fingers, it says. The tablets were not the work of Moses or the work of man. The tablets were written. They were the work of God, verse 16. The writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. Wow. So when Joshua, who's up there with Moses, right, kind of waiting halfway, when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there's a noise of war in the camp. They're fighting, he says. or against God and his word. But he said, he said, Moses did, it is not the sound of war, sound of shouting for victory or the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and he saw the calf and the dancing, he's got a panoramic view, right? He's coming down on it. He's seeing all the people gathered and the calf in the middle and they're singing and dancing and playing and worshiping this thing. Moses' anger burned hot. That's the exact same word we just use of God in Moses' intervene. Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of of his hands, and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. He knows. Same response with faced with sin as God. It's not minimized, it's not explained away, it's not tolerant, it's not calling it okay. I'm not saying, you know, they're just doing that because I've been gone so long. You know, these people aren't used to it. They've been in Egypt and that's how they worshiped in Egypt, so they're just used to it. Can we just give them a break, guys? None of that. This is all like, this is evil sin. And here's the covenant you have with God and what Moses does is he smashes it at his feet. So that's the picture that you're left with. The biggest picture of this whole thing is Moses standing there looking with the covenant of God at his feet, cracked and broken. Treaty gone. Do you understand that? The only relationship they have with God, his covenant with them, the one they just receive where they pledge loyalty to God, it's in shatters at Moses' feet. And they think they're celebrating Yahweh and they're wicked. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, when Moses holds the law of God in his hands, he breaks it. We should not presume to do any better. He literally breaks the law. He has to go back to God later and have him redo it. So imagine the conversation. I went down there. It turns out you're right. <laughs> yeah, I broke the law. It's an objective representation of how the law is going to be kept, throwing it down and shattering it. We receive it and we break it. It ends up shattered at our feet. Moses is ticked. So Moses takes the calf that they had made and he burned it with fire and he ground it with powder, to powder, and he scattered it on the water and he made the people of Israel drink it. Whoa, what's that? It's called mercury poisoning. No, we don't know. He's just mad. He's so mad, he's like, ooh, you want an idol? You all grand enough, you drink it. It'll be yours. What? It doesn't say anywhere in the Bible to ever do anything like that. He's just super ticked. It's like soap, only worse. You want an idol? How does it taste? 
perfect image of the Christian life. doesn't matter if Moses with pieces or people dancing around a cat. The law ends up broken. Yeah, I broke the law, but I, I took that ground and I ground up and made him drink it. That's what I feel like we do. It's like, yeah, I know I'm not perfect, but you know what? I really like did something. Yeah, that's something, all right. Sure, what it is. He, he, Moses doesn't realize this is just the beginning of idolatry. They're going to rebel against Moses. They're going to get cozy with their neighbor. They're going to do all over these things they shouldn't do. There's no victory with the law ever. If that's what you think victorious Christian life is, you got another thing coming. The, the consequences here is they just don't keep it, period. We need something else. We're going to get something else. We're not there. We're starting to see what we need. Low anthropology means we don't actually attain to the things that God says we should do ever. We have nothing to offer God ever. Of course, there's this next scene. Really fun. So the people are lost, obviously, man. They're, don't be like them. But Aaron, I mean, at least there's hope for Aaron. Aaron has been at Moses' side all this time. He saw the snakes go into the wood to snakes. He, he, saw, he was there eyewitnessing. He's the high priest. He's the only one that's going to go into the presence of God once a year. He, he's the guy that's going to wear all the cool stuff. He, he's the dude. Surely God picked him because of his great heart. Moses goes to Aaron and says, what are you doing? Moses said to Aaron, what, what did this people do to you that you brought such a great sin upon them? Like, are you going to show me the torture marks? They t- did they waterboard you? What did they do? Really fun to see what Aaron says here. <clears throat> Knife to the throat, club to the head. Well, how big was the gun? I mean, what, do they, what extenuating circumcision... Ugh circumstance do you have for this great sin that you let them do? Aaron says, verse 22, he says, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they're set on evil. Low anthropology. They're just set on evil. Not me though. And then look what he does. He says, for they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. And as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what's become of him. Uh, they said this, Moses, they kind of had a point. You've been gone a long time. Uh, that's what it said. This is fair representation of what they said, right? That's pretty close. So I said to them, let any who has gold take it off. Leave it out some details about the specificity of give me your earrings. But they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> See, you were pretty good at saying, yeah, those people, they did that, and they said this, and they said this, and here's my part. You know what he actually did? He took him, he melted it down, he made the calf. And I says, oh, no, I took him, I tossed it in. Ah, it was amazing. It's just like, poof. He just sort of skirt over what he did. This is the hilarity of sinners trying to wiggle their way out of the guilt that they're guilty of. What does Adam do? Well, he blames his wife, of course. What does Eve do? She blames the serpent. Never take responsibility if you have to. Project it onto someone else. We can't stand for guilt to be on our shoulders. We need someone else to be a scapegoat. Ironically, that shows again our need, right? We can't even stand up under the old honesty of our sin. 
pass the buck if we can. Not bear our own sin and guilt and we can't. God's going to have to take them both himself. That's Aaron. Day one, sin. Day two, the depth of it and the tragic consequence of it. There's verse 25, and Moses saw the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp. He says, who is on Yahweh's side? Come to me. Okay, at this point, most sermons are done. Idolatry is evil. Watch out for it. Don't do it. Stay true to Yahweh, and, um, and let's go home. I don't want you to miss this. Moses then stands, and he says, who's on God's side? Everybody hears it. Who's on God's side? All the sons of Levi, that's Moses' family, by the way, gather around him. And, and he said to them, thus says Yahweh, put on your sword on each side of you and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you will kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day, about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses says, today you have been ordained for the service of Yahweh, each one at the cost of his son and his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing on you this day. What in the world? Moses says, who's on God's side? So these guys come, this tribe comes, and says, well, good, get your sword, go kill your brother and your neighbor. And so they go through and they do it. They kill people. What? This isn't right. God's bloodthirsty. No, 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 no. Everybody here, you can be on God's side. Just come to God's side. And they don't. They don't get up and come. The only reason they're alive is because of God. They're sinning horribly against God. God has every right to destroy them all and start over with Moses, right? And then we get sad that he says, oh, oh, okay, let's, let's actually, okay, fine, they're not on my side, they're dead. Well, what about mercy? What about grace? We're not on mercy and grace, we're after truth. Low anthropology, it means you actually believe and know that you deserve nothing. You, human being, because you sin. And your sin deserves Death. And then we're all mad. We say that, you know, we say it, we don't believe it. Why do we not believe it? Because when God actually does it like that, we hate it and we say that's not fair. You deserve to be dead. This is not me. Yeah, have you ever sinned? You've never had any idolatry? You've never coveted anything in your life? You've never broken one of the Ten Commandments? The whole purpose of the Bible is to show you you've broken the Ten Commandments. So the answer is, of course I have. And then the the next answer isn't, you deserve to be dead. You're not playing right right with the Bible. Okay, now we can go home. No! (laughs) Don't stop there. But at least you got to be there with me, right? Low anthropology. It's the sin, day one. It's the consequence, day two. The consequence, day two, is, yep, this was really, really bad. And it's not just them. It's idolatry anywhere. It's sin that you know is wrong and you do it anyway. There is nobody that doesn't fall into sin. That's Romans 3. So the reality that God says, who's on my side? And not everybody comes that those people get killed. It's like, yeah, you're seeing the consequence of sin and it's crazy bad. Oh, avoid sin. Be on God's side. The call goes out, come to his side. 
Everybody had that chance here. So sin breaks loose day one. Consequences build day two. It's like a hangover, but it's worse. What can be done? I want you to see day three before we end. So the next day, it says, <laughs> people are mourning. People are like, like, oh my goodness, what's coming next? The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to Yahweh. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Again, do not miss this. This is really important. The consequence of sin begins to be death there. Now they haven't all died. But, but you start to see, and who's on God's side? The Levites. And so you see, you say, well, that's the payment for sin. But now we have Moses actually saying, I'm going to go try and pay for the sin. That was not paying for the sin. That was a consequence of the sin. What about atonement? What we need to do is, is, is make sure God's okay. Sin is still there. Why do I, why, why do I make a big deal about that? Because, because the reality is we sometimes think, I have the sin, I have the consequence, and now I'm okay. You know, I paid for it, I did the consequence, whatever. Like, like I, I, I did the crime, I paid the time, or I, I read how that goes. No. You did the sin, you deserve death. You didn't die, lucky you, yet. But, but that's not atonement. I'll come and be better. Say, oh man, I was so bad and now I'll be better. That doesn't take away your sin. You already did it, it's too late. The relationship's gone. So Moses returns to Yahweh. He goes back up to Yahweh and he says, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. Yeah, they have. They have made for themselves gods of gold. Yeah, that's sin, writ large. But, but now, this is the interesting thing, but now, if you will forgive their sin, oh yeah, what we need is forgiveness. Uh, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you've written. Okay, whoa, you gotta understand what the Hebrew is going on here, what's going on. Moses comes up to God and he says, oh, what we need is forgiveness. And he says, take me. Don't blot, I get it, if you, if you can't, it sounds a little bit like, oh, blot him out or kill me. No, but it's not like that. He's offering himself. He's saying, if what you need is a sacrifice, if, if what you need is, is atonement, take me, I wasn't there, I'm innocent, and, and you kill them and take me. No, you don't kill them and kill me instead. <laughs> That's amazing. That's what he's saying. Please forgive them, or if you need to, take it out on me. I offer myself for them. Atonement, I will atone. You take me out, not the people. This is Moses' mediatorial best. It's a wonderful image of offering himself for the people of God. And so God says, no. This is really important. Don't miss it. God says, no. God says to Moses, no, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. The thinking is, for most people, as you read this, what the book is, is the book of life. It is God is saying, they're done. Right? Whoever sinned against me, I'll blot out their names. You say, what? No, I, I thought it was about self-sacrifice and, and substitution, and that's the ticket. And, and this is what I found so amazing, is, is what is it? Our self-sacrifice, our substitution, we don't have the ability 
Moses says to God, he says, well, I'll, I'll sacrifice for them. How does Moses make that? He's a human being. Is he a sinner? Yes. The whole point of all this tabernacle regulations and setting it up and the holiness and, and everything to get into God's presence, Moses will have to do that too because he's a sinner like all of them. He has no coinage. He has no ability. He has nothing to bargain with. Like somehow, well, I wasn't involved in this sin, so I'll cover this sin and you kill me. You're already a sinner, Moses. You're going to die. Fabulous. You see, theologically, and why I'm pounding this to the ground for you guys, is this is the Old Testament, and it's presenting to us the lock. The problem. We sin. It is great sin. It is in a variety of ways. It's not making golden casts, but it is sin. And there are a thousand ways that we sin because our heart leaves the heart of the living God. And with that sin, we're done. And there's consequences. You can talk, avoid the sin to keep away from the consequence. That's great. But the reality is you don't avoid all the sin. You're tainted. You're bad. You're evil. And, and, so, and so that's the, and what we need is forgiveness. And we get forgiveness through atonement. And the very best person says, what? I'll stand up and atone for them. That's like, you know, the slug asking to atone for the fly. You don't got anything to atone with. So God says, no, Moses, great thought. In a thousand years, there'll be someone who comes, you see. Because when Jesus Christ came, and he's perfectly the son of man and the son of God. His life for you. We had nothing to bargain with. Just go. I'm, I'm not going to go with you, by the way, now. And this is huge, you guys. They, they broke it. And so God says to Moses, no. And then further, he says, well, now go to where I've shown you, but I'm not going. I'll send an angel to help you. Now go, he says, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. I'm not going to go hang out with you guys anymore. Yeah, you still my people by promise. But me in the midst wasn't something that I had to do. And by the way, when I show up again, then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. We got to be done, so we'll end there. That's the end of the chapter. But we're not quite done with the story. But we're done with this. We see the shape of the lock. We see the key that's needed, right? So first, they one was sin, a man the worst sin, it seems good. It's damning stuff. They think they're helping God. They think they're worshiping God. They're breaking the very covenant that God has with them. It is horrible and they do it. Don't think you don't do it too. That's not the answer is, boy, don't be like them. I, that's a biblical answer for sure. You shouldn't be like them. Paul references that in First Corinthians 10. But his reference there is, your only hope is the body and blood of Jesus. Low anthropology. There's no victorious Christian living you make by sweet choices and being a good person. Everybody stinks. Second day, the consequences are disastrous. God doesn't miss it. 
It destroys relationships. The law, that incredible guide that God gives, is broken in pieces at Moses' feet just because it seems to avoid you. Just, just if you personally haven't had those consequences for sin, doesn't mean you're not a sinner. It means, it means it's coming. And that's why day three is so important. While they seemingly hang by this tiny thread of God's promises, it's not tiny, it's the only rope we have, but his promises are there and that's the appeal that works and what's needed is mercy. What's needed is forgiveness and the way for forgiveness is atonement and we know where atonement's gonna come from. That's the key. Forgiveness by the perfect sacrifice of Jesus Christ once for all. This is why we stand on the gospel, which is the announcement of God incarnate come to earth and living and dying and rising again for you and me. This is why our only hope is outside of us is because atonement's needed and it was given. Not in this passage. God says, your atonement doesn't make a swat of difference, Moses. But the one who's coming, his atonement's enough for everybody. Anybody who would say, I receive it. I'm so bad, I have no hope. I have a low anthropology. I don't consider myself as your helper, God. I consider myself as needing you. And so I receive you today. I hope you see the incredible wonder of what this is about. It's absolutely amazing. A particular savior, Jesus Christ, the son of God, the son of man that does what Moses could never do because Jesus Christ took our sin on himself and he died on a cross for us and he gives us his righteousness and the father says no to Moses and then he says yes to Jesus. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So I call you today to loyalty to Jesus. And what that means is abandoning yourself. Abandoning that you think you're going to be some sort of hotshot that God helps to do a bunch of stuff. And instead saying, you know what? Jesus, thank you that you've done it all. And as you stay there in gratitude, it's amazing what the Spirit will do with you and me as we remind ourselves that it is finished. And Jesus did it all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this passage and the help in understanding the depth of our need. Lord, forgive me that I get mad at these guys and think I would never be like them, and then I go off and sin. I know better. We know better. Oh, Lord, that we would taste the forgiveness that we receive in your Son. Thank you so much that we have a ground to stand on. We get to come into your presence, not because of the works we've done, but by the work that's been done for us. And we depend on you today. Please drive that into our hearts, spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.